Okay, everybody ready for the new year and the new series? All right, I'm glad you're excited and ready for it. I've got some questions for you as we begin. I'd love for your uh, participation. So how many of you, when you look back on 2020, how many of you would say you are so excited it's no longer 2020? Anybody excited that 2020 is over? Yeah, many of us are excited that 2020 is over. And yet what we learned in our Christmas series is that this past year was a whole lot like the first Christmas. It was very unexpected. And we learned in this series that unexpected things can actually lead us to the most important things. But we have to have our eyes open to that. So this year, as we walk into 2021, let's not just wish 2020 would go away and that this year would be nothing like last year. That's a wonderful wish and hope, but there are going to be some unexpected things this year. If we have the eyes of the wise men, the perspective of the wise men, we'll understand that God can use those unexpected things in our lives in powerful ways. So let's keep our eyes open for that. Now, next question is this. As you look back on 2020, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually? Like, how are you doing? Feel free. You're doing awesome. I want to hang out with you more. Thankful and blessed. And that's a guy that just had a major accident and is here on Sunday. You're okay. Eric, we're, we're grateful you're okay. We're praying for you. Awesome. How, how's everybody else doing? Great, wonderful. Today you're doing okay? Anybody like not doing okay? So-so. Okay, great. So I love all the great responses, and I really do want to spend more time with you. But I would say in my life this past year, there have been many parts of, of my life where like, I wasn't doing okay. And if we look around the world, I think there's a whole bunch of people saying, you know, I'm not doing okay either. Like, I'm, I'm really struggling with my life, my, the, the economy, and struggling in a lot of ways. So here's a deeper question for everybody. How is your soul doing? Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that. That's great. It's got a little anger in it. Got some anger in it. Okay. It's okay. Grateful. Hungry. So I know when I ask that question, it's, it's a little bit harder to answer that. Um, number one, many of us really struggle with how to define soul. Like, what is my soul? How do I define it? How's my soul doing? And it's interesting because we use the word soul quite often in our world, and yet many of us struggle to know how to define it, much less how it's doing. So listen to some of the ways that we use the word soul. Some people celebrate All Souls Day as a day of prayer and remembrance for the people who have already died. Some people talk about eating soul food. We listen to soul music. We search for a soulmate. We do soul searching. We ask people to swear on their soul. If we don't want them to tell anybody else the next thing we're about to say, we want to make sure that they tell the truth. We say things that touch us deeply touch our soul. We say the eyes are the window to the soul. The universal distress signal, SOS, stands for save our souls. Every presidential election, candidates tell us they are fighting for the soul of our nation. Anybody hear that this last election? I heard it from both candidates a whole lot during the debates. Selling souls can be found in many plays, books, and country music. Periodically, someone tries to sell their soul online, 
And thankfully, most companies have no soul-selling policies. You might drive a car uh, called Soul, made by Kia. Anybody drive a Soul? And her Soul's doing great this morning. Debbie said that. Maybe you should drive a Soul. Disney just released a new movie called Soul, where the main character, a middle school uh, band teacher, dies, loses his life, and yet finds his soul's purpose. If you watch it, you need to understand the theology of that movie is rotten. It's really bad, okay? So it's a cute concept, but it's theologically not sound. So we use the word soul many times in our world again, and yet many of us don't know how to define soul, or much less how our soul is doing. So I turn to the dictionary, and you know, uh, Webster is going to tell us everything we need to know. So I turned to, to Webster's dictionary and it defines soul as the immaterial essence, animating principle or actuating cause of an individual life. I don't know about you, but I need a definition for that definition. Like, I don't know what that means. So I kept reading and I found out that Webster also defines soul as a person's total self, the moral, emotional nature of human beings. So that makes a little bit more sense, but I'm curious how God defines soul. So I did some research in scripture, found that uh, there are Bible scholars that uh, look at the soul from several different perspectives. There are actually two main perspectives when it comes to soul uh, and Bible scholars. So there are Bible scholars that believe that we are made up of two parts. We are made up of body and soul. And then they would add to that spirit and soul are words that you find in scripture, but they would say they're used interchangeably to mean the same thing. There are other Bible scholars that believe we are made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit, and they're all separate things. So listen to how the apostle Paul describes soul and spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. He said, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Then in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says this. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit. So it certainly seems like from those two verses that soul and spirit are separate things, but are they? Jesus asked a very profound question in Mark chapter eight, verse 36. Maybe you've heard this before. He said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So from that question, it certainly seems like Jesus is saying our soul is the most important part of who we are. But is the soul and the spirit, are they the same thing or are they two separate things? I believe they're two separate things. I believe that God put us together as body, soul, and spirit. So our body is the stuff that we can touch and we can feel. It's how we interact with the world. It involves our senses, you know, our sense of sight and uh, smell, uh, our taste. Unless you've got COVID, then you, you lose your taste apparently for a little bit. You know, it involves our senses, the way that we interact with the world. Then our soul is kind of the core of our being. And it includes things like our personality, our emotions, our mind, our will, our desires, and you could say our heart 
Again, the, the core of who we are. And then there's our spirit that allows us to connect with God. And Jesus actually said in John 3, 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So when someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they become spiritually alive. And prior to that, scripture says that we are spiritually dead. So it certainly seems like soul and spirit are so closely connected, they can be confused for, for one another. And yet I do think as we look deeper in scripture, they're two separate things. They're two separate parts of who we are. So for most of this series, when I reference the word soul, I'm talking about our personality. I'm talking about our emotions, our will, our thoughts, our desires, our heart, the, the core of who we are. And then later in this series, we'll actually wrap this series up by looking at another definition for the word soul. But just so we're on the same page, when we talk about soul for most of the context of this series, we're talking about that core of who we are as human beings. So let me ask again, how's your soul doing? How are you doing at the core of your being when you're just alone uh, without all the distractions of life and you're alone just with your thoughts and Jesus. How's your soul doing? It's still doing good. Still a little angry. A little distracted. Can get better. It is well. Great song. Transparent. Good. There are many ways to answer that question. Uh, our, our soul can be joyful, can be refreshed, can be thankful, uh, can be content, can be peaceful, or it can be weary, can be anxious, can be distracted, can be overwhelmed, it can be lonely. Our souls can take on many conditions, and the condition of our soul is based upon how we take care of our souls. The condition of your soul is based upon how you are currently taking care of your soul. Author John Ortberg says this about our souls. He says, our world has replaced the word soul with the word self, and yet they're not the same thing. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. I would say today our world is filled with neglected souls. So the time that we have remaining, I want to share with you the condition of my soul. And I'm going to use a Bible story to do that. And I have to warn you that as I walk down this road, you're going to find out this morning that I'm not perfect. Shocker, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you know me, you certainly know I'm not perfect. If you don't know me, if you're new to, to church, maybe you'll be uh, surprised at some of the things that I'm going to share today. So I'm going to ask in advance, is it okay for me to be vulnerable and personal with you today? Yes. Great. Thank you. Um, if you didn't answer yes, buckle up, because here we go, okay? We're going to do this together. All right, Luke chapter 10 records a brief interaction between Jesus and one of his followers, and it captures the condition of many souls in our world, and it has captured the condition of my soul. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 tells us that as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
and her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, I'm not really sure why Luke recorded this story that way when he said that, that Jesus and his disciples went to a certain town and there's a certain woman. I'm not sure why he said that because this is Mary and Martha. If you don't know Mary and Martha, they are some of Jesus' closest followers. Beyond followers, they are his friends. They have a, a deep, close relationship with Jesus. They spent a lot of time with Jesus, spent a lot of time around him, following him, and, and doing what he was doing in the world. And so this is Mary and Martha. Jesus and his disciples, this isn't just a casual, oh, let's just stop by this house. No, they were stopping by purposefully to spend time with them. And verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now, does anybody here ever get frustrated when you're working on a project or doing something at home, doing something at work, and somebody who could help you sits there watching you? Anybody get frustrated with that? I get frustrated with that. And that's where Martha is. Martha's frustrated. And verse 40 tells us she was distracted by the meal that she was preparing. But in addition to that, I would like to suggest this morning that she was weary. She was tired from doing all the work that she's done by herself. And she's so tired, she musters up the courage to go confront her sister and Jesus because she's weary. Now, here's where I do and I don't connect with Martha in this story. So I have been weary in my life. I know many of us have been weary, but I've never felt like I've done anything alone, like I, especially in ministry. I've never felt like I'm alone in ministry. We've got an amazing staff, amazing volunteers. This is an amazing church family, and I've never felt alone in what I do here, my role, my part when it comes to leading here at Epic, but I have felt weary as a pastor. And I know that when I say that, there are some of you that say in your mind, well, what do pastors do? Like, do pastors work like one or two hours a week? Like, like if you're thinking that, I get it. I understand. Uh, that's actually what I thought before I became a pastor. And when I became a pastor, I found out that pastoring has been the hardest job I've ever had. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done. This year marks 20 years. Uh, actually, last year, 2020, marked 20 years uh, for me being in full-time vocational ministry with my family. And ministry can be exhausting on many levels. And one of the, the big uh, levels that ministry uh, can be exhausting from is from expectations of people. So everybody's got an expectation on a pastor. Whether you think you have one right now or not, you have an expectation for me this morning. You have an expectation on pastors in general. Everybody does. Uh, some people expect pastors to be at every life event they have from birth until death. Some people expect pastors to always preach the perfect 20-minute sermon. Sorry, doesn't quite happen here very often because I usually double that, and I'll probably do that again this morning. Uh, but, but people expect pastors to preach the perfect sermon that touches them deeply and yet doesn't offend them or inconvenience their lives in any way. Try to balance that one. That's a challenge. 
Some people expect their pastor to be just like their former pastor without understanding that we're different. We're different people, we have different personalities, we lead different, we teach different, and I gotta tell you, I'm not like your former pastor, and your next pastor won't be like me, so give them grace as well, knowing that we're all different. Some people expect their pastor to be a walking Bible encyclopedia, always ready to answer deep theological questions, especially in line at Walmart. That is a super fun place to get into a deep conversation, and I've had many spiritual conversations uh, in line at, at many stores. So everyone has expectations on pastors, even people who don't go to church have expectations on pastors. What's worse than trying to live up to people's expectations is trying to live up to my own expectations. My expectations for me as a pastor are very high, are higher than any expectation that anybody else has, has put on me. And living up to those expectations, my own expectations, can be exhausting. In addition to that, preparing and delivering, delivering deep, meaningful messages each week that speak on God's behalf is exhausting. Trying to evaluate my life each week to figure out, am I personally living up to these messages? That's exhausting. Trying to carry the spiritual burden of a church and a community is exhausting. Trying to protect the church from spiritual attacks is exhausting. Trying to protect myself and my family from spiritual attacks is exhausting. Making hundreds of decisions that impact people's eternity, creating a co compelling vision for the future, uh, raising money to purchase land and build a building is exhausting. In addition to that, leading through COVID, racial tension, Political stress of this past year, and in May of last year, I was weary. Around that time, someone asked me, how's your soul doing? Same question that I asked you. And I had to say, it's not good. My soul is weary. I'm tired. I love doing what I do as a pastor, but I'm weary. Now, as I continue, let me just make something really clear. This is not a resignation message, okay? So just put, put you at ease, just in case you're wondering what's next. Okay, I'm not resigning. Um, I'm not looking for pity, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm telling you where I was because I know that's where many of you are. I've had conversations with many of you. I heard, I have heard you say how tired and weary and exhausted you are from life. So I'm just curious this morning and looking for some honesty. How many of you would say right now that you're weary or this past year you've been weary? Anybody willing to admit that? So hands everywhere. A lot of us have been weary. So listen to how Jesus responded to Martha's weary soul. In Luke 10, 41, he said, my dear Martha, I love the care and concern that he gives her in, in this moment where she's freaking out. She's freaking out and she's taking it out on Jesus, taking it out on her sister. And Jesus is very careful with her. He says, my, my dear Martha, you're worried. You're concerned about so many of these details. Yet there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. 
Sometimes when I'm reading Bible stories, I try to put myself in the place where that character is and try to figure out what would they be thinking in that interaction? What would they say as they're interacting with Jesus? And so I put myself in Martha's spot. And one of the first questions that comes to my mind is, Jesus, are you saying we're not supposed to serve people? Are you saying we're not supposed to do all the stuff that needs to be done? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. The meal needed to be prepared. There are other things that need to be done, but Martha had forgotten the most important part of serving others, and that involves connecting deeply with Jesus before we do that. If we don't do that, if we don't connect deeply with Jesus before we serve other people, we'll end up serving out of our own strength and not God's strength. And that's one thing I didn't realize that I was doing. It's one thing I didn't realize. As I look back over the past couple of years, I didn't realize I'd been doing a whole lot of stuff out of my strength instead of God's strength. And here's kind of the pattern of, of my, my life, pattern of my, my day and, and what I do in ministry. I read the Bible a lot. I pray a lot. Uh, everything I do is, is for God. And so as I look back over the past few years, I realize, you know what, like I've missed some things in, in that. I've pushed myself hard for a long time believing that since it's for God, somehow he's gonna get me through this, but in my attempts to keep up with the demands of ministry or how I've been doing ministry, again, my soul has become weary. And I've said some of the same things to God that Martha said to Jesus. I've said things like, God, don't you care? Don't you care that I am working so hard for you? I feel like I'm about to burn out. Like, don't you care about that? I think that's a question that many of us ask when we're weary. When we're tired, we, we ask God questions like, God, don't you care about my family? Don't you care about my job? Don't you care about my finances? Don't you care about my health? Don't you care about the health of this person that I love? Don't you care about my loneliness? Like, God, don't you care? Maybe that's the biggest question you have on your, your heart this morning. Is God, do you really care about me? But look again at what Jesus said to Martha. Verse 41, he said, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So I wonder, what did Mary discover? What did Mary dis discover that Martha didn't? It's this. Mary discovered that sitting at Jesus' feet is more important than anything else. Sitting at Jesus' feet is more important than anything else. And I know when I post that here and you read that and I say that, uh, there's a mental pushback on some of you where you say like, what does that mean? What does it look like to sit at Jesus' feet? Am I like not supposed to do anything? Am I just supposed to sit at his feet? So let me describe to you what sitting at Jesus' feet has been looking like for me. Last summer, I took a little time off to examine my soul. And I spent a lot of time reading the Bible, a lot of time praying, reading some soul care books, and allowing God to speak into my life. It was great and painful. Anybody ever done a great, painful thing before? Like, it, it was hard. God was pointing out some things in my life that needed to change. And I discovered some of those things that I want to share with you this morning. So I'm just going to share a few of the things I've discovered 
that God has told me need to change. So first thing is this, in trying to live up to everybody else's expectations and my own expectations, I have not lived up to God's expectations. Again, I have neglected some of my time with God. Again, a lot of what I do is for God and, and can be put under that category. And yet I think I, as I look back, I, I've been deceiving myself a little bit and trying to do things on my own, my own strength, um, and not spending the time I need to with God. So typically what I do is spend about an hour before I start my day reading the Bible and praying and trying to connect deeply with God before I dive into work. But as I look back over the past couple of years, I've, I've noticed, and I found that out this summer, I've noticed that I've spent less time just alone with Jesus and more time trying to make decisions, problem solve, figure out what we're supposed to be doing as a church and where we're supposed to be going. And again, doing that, a lot of that in my own strength, instead of just sitting with Jesus and allowing him to speak that stuff to me. In addition to that, not only was I neglecting my time with God, I, but I've been neglecting my family. You know, for many years, what I do is I give everything I have at work. I mean, that's the expectation I have for myself is that I, I, I pull up in the driveway at home and I've got nothing left. Guess who suffers? My poor family. I come home, I've got nothing left some days. And I walk in, I just want to eat dinner and go to bed. Like, I don't want to interact with my family. Like, I got nothing left. And it's been a complaint of my family for a number of years is that you give everything at work and you don't have anything left for us. That's not okay. It's not okay in my life. It's not okay in your life. It's not okay for us to live like that. So that's something that I've been discovering about myself. Another thing I've discovered is that I base my identity on my performance. I don't know if any of you have this condition in your life, but I have a whole lot of perfectionism in me. Anybody else? All right, so good morning. My name is Trent. I'm a perfectionist, okay? So I base my identity on how I'm doing in my job. I base my identity on whether I'm preaching a great message or not, or a great series. If I know the right thing to say in every situation for, for anybody that comes up with, with an issue, I know how to lead through any crisis that comes along. And yet, you know, COVID kind of messed that up for all of us because like nobody knew how to lead through that stuff. And if I'm not doing what I think I should be doing in all of those areas, I feel like a failure. And that fear of failure drives me to work harder and harder and leads to more exhaustion. Author Dallas Willard said, the most important thing in life is not what you do. It's who you become. Most important thing is life, in life is not what you do. It's who you become. And I know that. I've preached that, and yet when I look back over the past couple of years, I'd say, you know what, I don't know that I've been living that. I've been basing my identity on my performance, on how I think I'm doing, and not on who God says I am. And as I looked at uh, kind of who I was becoming, I would say, you know what, That's, I wasn't really happy with what I was learning about myself and who I was allowing myself to be. It leads me to the most important thing that I've been learning. This might be something you want to write down and uh, kind of remind yourself all week long, and it's this. I am responsible for the condition of my soul. 
I am responsible for allowing my soul to get into a bad spot. And guess what? That means I'm responsible for getting my soul out of that spot and changing some of the the things that I've done to get myself to a better place. And what that means for you is you are responsible for the condition of your soul. You're responsible for whether your soul is in a good place or your soul is in a bad place. Here's the reality. We are not victims of what happens in life. We're responsible for how we respond to those things and how we care for our soul in the midst of those things. So here's what I've been uh, trying to do over the past seven months. Uh, I've been starting my days by reading the Bible and talking to Jesus and trying not to jump into work before I connect more deeply with him. I've been learning that I don't have to have everything figured out. Uh, Let me turn that around for you. You don't have to have everything figured out. God will help you. God will help me. God will help our staff. God will guide our church. And I just have to remind myself that God's in control. I'm not. He is. So I need to spend more time connecting with him to allow him to guide me and to guide us. So I've been reminding myself that my value comes from God, not from my performance. I've been reminding myself that God cares way more about who I become than what I do. God cares the same about that for you. I've been working really hard about uh, when I leave work, actually leaving work at work and coming home and more fully engaging my family when I'm home. And am I doing great at this stuff? I'd say, you know, there's some days it's, it's a dance. It's a two-step forward, one step back. And, you know, there's days I, I, I do really well with it, days I'm, I'm not doing real, really well at it, but I'm, I'm moving forward and I'm slowly learning how to take better care of my soul because, again, it's my responsibility. The condition of my soul is my responsibility. And the condition of your soul is your responsibility as well. Now, I'm not sure what happens in the story with Martha and Jesus. I don't know what happens in kind of the next part of this story because the story ends abruptly. Jesus gives his answer to Martha and the story's over. But it would not surprise me if Jesus ordered Chinese takeout so that Martha didn't have to make that big dinner. It wouldn't surprise me. But it wouldn't surprise me, in addition to that, that that Jesus uh, invited Martha to come sit at his feet and rest her soul. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I think Jesus is saying that to some of us today. You're weary. I think Jesus is saying it's, it's time. I invite you to come and sit at my feet and find rest for your souls. We're only gonna find rest for our souls at Jesus' feet. And in order for us to slow down and spend some time with Jesus, uh, we really have to learn how to slow down We're not going to be able to care for our souls going at a thousand miles an hour through life. We have to pull off the highway of life in order to to learn those things and allow our soul to rest and spend time 
with Jesus. And I know that some of us are wondering, like, how in the world is that ever going to be possible? Like, do you know my life? Do you know my schedule? Do you know how busy I am? Like, I get it. We're all busy. I get it. We've got to learn to slow down a little bit. So I've got some things I'd love uh, to, to give you as we learn how to do this. And I have a challenge for you as well. So my challenge is to find 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day to just spend time with Jesus. If you can do more, great. But try to spend 30 minutes a day just talking to Jesus and listening to him and allowing him to speak to you about the condition of your soul. So here's three things I'd love to give you to help you with that. The first thing is what I'm calling our soul care journals. So we have these journals and I would love for you to take these journals. We've got some at the back of each seating section. Just take one uh, with you and use it for writing notes from the series that we're doing, maybe spending time with Jesus and recording some of the things that he's saying to you. And I've got two big questions that I challenge you to ask yourself every day. And they're listed in the front of these journals. So the first question is this, God, how is my soul really doing? Ask that question and listen. And then the second question is this, God, how can I take better care of my soul? So for a month, we're gonna ask those two questions. We're going to let God speak to us. We're going to record what he says in these journals. Now, I know this is a little bit old school, and if you're like hip and cool and you don't write things in paper anymore and you do it on technology, great. You know, you do it on your phone, do it on your computer, whatever. But if you're a little old school like me, here's a journal. You can grab that and use that. In addition to that, what we have for you is our spiritual growth challenge. We've adjusted these a little bit, made them a half sheet so you can fold them up and keep them in your journals. Um, But this is a one-page document that just takes what we're talking about on Sundays to a deeper level. It's got a Bible reading plan there that can help guide you through the week. It's got deeper questions for you to ask yourself, maybe to ask somebody else in a small group that you're a part of or ask somebody at work or somebody in your family, just something you can process more deeply with somebody else. And then, in addition to that, we have our fasting preparation guide. Fasting preparation guide. So it's that time of year when we start our fast. So for 11 years, we've started the new year off with a fast. And uh, it's a great way to connect more deeply with God and kind of evaluate the condition of our souls. And I really encourage you to take advantage of this time that we have coming up. So our fast will be from January the 18th through the 30th. So it's just a two-week fast. And uh, I guarantee you, God can do amazing things in us and through us when we pull off the highway of life and say, God, for two weeks, I'm just going to fast. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to give you the first part of the year, trusting that you got the rest of the year. And if you're not familiar with fasting, it is the ancient spiritual discipline of giving up something physical to get something spiritual. When the thing that we give up spiritually or physically is often food-related, but it can be activity-related as well. And as we do that, we can learn how to connect more deeply with God. And it's something we can talk about all day long, but you're not going to know a lot about it until you actually practice it, until you actually engage it. This fasting preparation guide can help you. If you don't know anything about fasting, this can help you. If you know a lot about fasting, this can remind you of some things and help you get prepared for our time of fasting that's coming up soon. So before you leave, pick up one of our journals, one of our spiritual growth challenges, and our fasting preparation guide, and then we'll use that together over the next few weeks. Now, in just a minute, our worship team is gonna close us out with a song called Come As You Are. 
And before we sing, I'd like to do something that might feel a little bit weird as we end, but I would like to pray for those of you who are weary. And so let me tell you before I ask you to do something weird, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a minute, not yet. Um, But if you need to talk to somebody about what's going on in your world, stop by our care center. We'd love to talk with you. We've got some wonderful people out there that would love to talk with you. I'll be in the lobby as well. I'd love to talk with you if you want to talk a little bit more about what's going on in your world. But if you're weary, if you're weary from whatever uh, issues that have arisen in your life, relationships that are going south, uh, your finances, your health, school, whatever, if you're weary, I'd like to ask you to stand. Thank you for your courage in doing that. Um, You're not alone. There are a lot of people out there who are weary. Jesus has some specific things to say to you today, and it is come. And as we sing, I encourage you to sit at Jesus' feet, allow him to speak to you. I'm going to ask everybody else to stand with me. We're going to pray. So, Lord, there are many people here today, whether on campus, and I'm sure there are many people online watching as well, that are weary. Lord, just just tired from from life for whatever reason, for how we've lived life, or how we've responded to the things that have happened to us, or, Lord, there's any number of reasons that lead us to a spot of being weary. God, thank you for how you cared for Martha in this moment when she was weary. Lord, you were gentle with her. You said, Martha, you're worried about so many things, and yet there's only one thing worth being worried about, worth being concerned about, and that's sitting at my feet. Lord, we don't always know what to do with that. We don't always know how to apply that to our lives. And yet this morning, Lord, there are some people here today saying they're weary. And I know that you are saying to them, come to me. Bring your burdens. Leave them with me. Let me care for you. Let me teach you and learn how to take care of your soul. So, Lord, we come to you this morning symbolically. We want to sit at your feet, not just in this moment, but, Lord, as we leave here, we want to continue to sit at your feet as we go into our week, as we go to work, as we're in our neighborhood, as we're doing whatever we do throughout our day. We want to learn to spend time with you because that's critical for everything else that we're going to do and everybody else that we're going to interact with. So, God, I just pray that there would be a divine encounter this morning. I pray we would have divine encounters as we engage the spiritual discipline of sitting at your feet before we do anything else. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.